Hey, thanks for checking out the weekly podcast from Chattanooga Valley Baptist Church. We hope you found this episode to be challenging and encouraging. Now, let's turn our attention to this week's sermon from Pastor Brian Carroll. So, this morning, we are going to tackle a lot of verses, most of chapter six. Um, not all of it, but we're gonna, we're gonna jump into that here in just a second. I wanna pray for us, um, pray for myself, honestly. Um, and then let's, let's look at what the Lord did. So, um, Father, you are good and we love you. This, this story shows your authority and it shows your power and it shows so much of who you are. Um, and God, I'm just thankful to be a part of your people. There's a lot of stories that make me thankful for salvation. There's lots of stories that make me thankful for mercy. Um, Father, this is just one where I'm thankful that I'm on, your team. I'm on your team, I'm on your side, that your victory is my victory and, and my victory is your victory. And Father, I'm so thankful for that. Um, speak to us this morning. And uh, God, we just, we love you and thank you. And pray this in your name, amen. Um, so, Setting the stage a little bit, we're here in Joshua 6, and we're going to uh, pick up something that has been going on since, oh, I don't know, Genesis. Um, we've had uh, a promise that was made to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Uh, Genesis 12, and the Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your kindred, your father's house to the land that I will show you. A few verses later, then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring, I will give this land. And so he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So way back in Genesis 12, God says, Abram, I am going to do something incredible. I'm gonna give you this this incredible land. And then Abram, his name changed to Abraham, all that fun stuff, and then we have Isaac, and then we have Jacob, and then we have the 12 misfits, I mean sons of Jacob that can't get anything right, and then Joseph who saves Egypt, which then in all the chaos leads to all the slavery in Egypt, and then we have Moses who leads the people out, and God's like, Moses, promised land, sound good? And Moses is like, sure. And then of course, you know, Lots of disobedience and lots of, of issues there, and so not even Moses and his group gets to have the promised land, but finally, here we are. In Joshua 6, they're, they're entering in, and, and you've got Joshua. And if you've been here the last few weeks with, with Pastor Brian teaching and preaching and going through this, we know that they have been preparing for war. They are, they are ready, they are, they are mentally, emotionally, physically ready. Like they, they know the time is here, it is battle time, it's time to suit up, it's time to take what was promised to them. It is, it is war time. And then God lays out the plan. Generations and, and chapters of preparation for war and then Joshua gets to meet with the Lord and gets this plan. So uh, if you could, if you could, could you, uh, if you're able, stand and let's read Joshua chapter six, verses one through seven. I'll give you all a second to get there, but Joshua chapter six, just verses one through seven. It should be up on the screen. Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because of the people of Israel. None went out, none came in, and the Lord said to Joshua, see, 
I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all the men of war going around the city once. Thus you shall do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark. And on the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout and the wall of the city will fall down flat and the people shall go up, everyone straight before him. And so Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, take up the Ark of the Covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, go forward, march around the city and let the armed men pass on before the Ark of the Lord. Father, thank you for plans that we cannot understand. Thank you for giving us the confidence because of how great you are to trust it when we don't understand it. God, you are good and we love you. I pray this in your name, amen. Y'all can be seated. Um, so, <clears throat> I'm not good at details, but I'm a planner. Uh, I like to know what's coming. Um, I, I like to have a, a general outlook and idea of things. And so if I'm Joshua and I am in charge of the Lord's army, I am in charge of, of the nation of Israel marching into the promised land, going and taking over these, these warrior tribe civilizations and cities and towns, and I go to meet with the Lord, I am expecting details on like where to attack. What, what to do to attack this, this great civilization. What, what do we do, God? And then I get those instructions from the Lord. I want you to march around the city one time. Every day for six days. And on the seventh day, I want you to march around it and then I want you to blow trumpets, and then I want you to yell really loud. Uh, okay, I guess this is like a scare tactic. I guess it's like what the, wait, what is it, the, 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 the Samoan, like the Hakka or the whatever, where they, like, they stomp and do all the faces, and it's the craziest, most independent thing in the world. I guess that's what God's doing. Okay, 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 God, cool, that's, that's cool. That's a great warm up, and then what do we do? God's like, just walk up and take the city. If I'm Joshua, I'm taking a step back and going, I think I missed a step. Like, did I fall asleep? Like, did I zone out? Did I have an ADHD moment here? Like, we're marching around the city, we yell, and then we just walk straight up and take it. Where's the part where we win? Where's the part where I send my troops to the east or to the west? Or, or where's the part where we starve them out for six months? Like, where, where's the part that we do the military thing and God just says, March, shout, take the city. And so for me, I question every bit of that. I look at that and like, there's no way, this doesn't make any sense. I'm losing my mind, I must be crazy. I must be like, uh, there's something wrong with me. I'm calling in backup. I'm, I'm, I'm praying for one more conversation with Moses, my mentor, and being like, can I have Moses back for a second so I can talk to him? Because this makes no sense. But praise God, Joshua and Jacob are not the same person because my response to this is not Joshua's response to this. And so this morning, first thing, right out of the gate, our view is limited. I think we can all agree to that. If we could see everything and we can understand everything and we knew everything, then why would we worship somebody else? If I understood it all, I should worship myself. 
because I'm the superior supreme being, but, but I don't understand it all. I don't see the full picture. I don't see the full plan. I don't have all the answers. And because of that, somebody else has to. And that is who's worthy of my worship and my praise. So the most, I think, foundational part of Christianity, but also fundamental to our faith and honestly encouraging to me is I don't have all the answers. And praise God, I don't. I don't have to carry that. I don't have to carry having all the answers and knowing all the ins and outs. I get to trust in the one that does. But here we have the fact that our view is limited. If I'm, if I'm Abraham and I get promised that there's gonna be a promised land and then I get told I'm gonna give it to your offspring, I'm like, well, wait a minute, why don't I get it? If I'm Isaac, if I'm Jacob, if I'm Joseph who saves all of Egypt and is like, cool, can I have the promised land now? And God's like, no. Or Moses, who, who leads the people out, and then the people are disobedient and heathens, and, and then they're like, no, you don't get the promised land either. Like, I bet every one of them had times where they thought, well, wouldn't it make sense? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just have this right now? Their view is limited, just like our view is limited. We don't understand why things happen when and how they do. I think everybody in this room has experienced something probably in the last week that we're like, I wish it wouldn't have gone that way. And I don't understand why it had to go that way. I don't, I don't understand why this happened when it did and how it did. And we just, we're limited, we're finite. We don't understand everything. But we serve the God who does. And that's the difference between Joshua and a lot of the people in scripture. As Joshua recognizes that my, my view is limited and he recognizes that and he accepts that. He doesn't buck against that. He says, okay, my view is limited. I don't have all the cards. I don't have all the pieces. And so, but what we're looking at practically here is, is for Joshua to look at the city of Jericho. Historian, gonna come out just for a quick second. Jericho is a, a double fortress. So you've got the inner walls and then the outer walls, and it is up, and it has this crazy vantage point. So it, it is one of the safer, safest fortresses in the ancient world. Taking out Jericho is not gonna be an easy task for any army ever. Like that's just, that's just that's why, that's why it was built the way it was built. It was built with water flowing into it. So they had uh, resources for months, for, for years even. Like fortresses like Jericho were designed to handle a siege being surrounded for six months, nine months, a year, year and a half. Like they were designed for that. Now was it extravagant living when you're under siege? No, but they were fine. They could hunker down and sit longer than you could handle being out there in the wilderness trying to, to surround them. They were gonna outlast you. That, that's the mindset. And archeologists have, have gotten into to Jericho and looked at it and what they found is just vast, vast reserves of grain. You find the, the vases and the pots and there's, there's grain, they're, they're filled to the brim with it. Like they were prepared. The people of Jericho were ready to sit there for however long it took for the Israelites to move on or do something dumb and open up a weak point. Like this is not an easy task. And so for Joshua to look at Jericho and to look up at this city and go, man, like this is gonna be brutal. We are gonna lose a ton of people doing this. 
On the flip side, in his head, he's also thinking, if we can get Jericho, we're set for life. We'll take this over, make this our home base operations. Like, this is gonna be awesome. So, so there's the, the leader who's afraid for his people. There's the tactician who's like, if we get this place, we're set, we're good. And so that's Joshua's view. And then there's God's view. God looks at Jericho and, and he sees absolutely nothing. Zero concern. Because God looks at Jericho and he doesn't see Jericho, he doesn't see walls, he doesn't see an army. He sees his own power barely even being used. God says, I, this is nothing. God looks at Jericho and he sees an opportunity to show off that he's the one true God. Because the people of Jericho worshiped all kinds of false idols and, and, and they, they had massive uh, idol worship problems and sin problems and they were, as we're gonna see later in the chapter, they were, the, uh, they were detestable to the Lord. Like they were not a people that he was very happy with. And God doesn't look at this and see a mighty fortress. He looks at it and sees a very easy opportunity to show off how powerful he is. So God sees the whole picture. Joshua sees his little narrow scope that Joshua is capable of seeing. God sees the whole picture. And then God says, here's what I want you to do. So number one, our view is limited. God's view obviously is not, and praise God that it's not. But number two, Number two, our understanding is not required. And this is where a lot of us struggle. I don't understand, so therefore I'm not moving. I'm just gonna hunker down right here until you make this make sense to me, God. I don't understand this pain. I don't understand this suffering. I don't understand this diagnosis. I don't understand this event. I don't understand this. I don't get it, and I'm mad about it, and I'm gonna sit here and pout about it. Until I understand, I'm not moving. As a human, I relate to that and I do that. I'm the same as, as all of us in this room do that, okay? From a biblical standpoint, how dare we? That's a hard truth. That's such a hard truth. But what, what right do we have? To claim that right, to say, I have the right to tell God no. I have the right to listen to what God says. I don't understand it. I'm not doing it. If that's the attitude we have, then what view of him do we actually have? Because if I really, really, truly believe and think that he is all-powerful, that he is all-knowing, that he is the great creator, that he is Lord over all things, that he is literal light and good and love, and that all things flow through him, and he knows all things, and he controls all things, and that all things belong to him, and that he is the great God. If I actually believe that, then what, what right do I have to look at him and go, I don't understand this, so it's wrong and it's unacceptable, and I'm just gonna stand right here, I'm not gonna move. Like those are such contradictory statements. It just, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't fit. To claim that he is all powerful and then to not trust that he's all powerful. To claim that he sees it all and that he's Lord over all and then live honestly against that. Like that's, what right do we have? Where, where did we get that idea that we could do that? I mean, we can look at it scripturally. You know, we had that from the beginning, that Adam and Eve. Well, maybe, 
maybe it's okay for me to eat this. Like, I don't, I don't understand why he would make something and not let us eat it, right? Like, I don't understand why he would turn us loose, and I don't understand why he would, you know, why he would have a consequence for something like, I mean, that we questioned from the beginning. That's, that is our flaw, and that is our fall as humans is that we question, and we doubt the Father. And you look at all the major hardships that they had to endure from the promise to the promised land, at the core of 98% of it, they just doubted who he was. They doubted who he said he was. They doubted their own belief. Our understanding is not required in God's plans. It's not a deal, it's not a negotiation. It's not, a, it's not God coming to me, Jacob, and saying, hey, I'm gonna do this, you good with that? Again, if God had to get my approval, he wouldn't be God. If God had to get on my level and explain things to me, he would not be worth my worship. And I, again, as a historian, I look at all of these, these ancient civilizations that had crazy fear for fake gods, for these false idols that did nothing. But their fear and respect for these false gods and false idols was incredible. You, you don't question the God of whatever. You don't question the system. You don't, like you do what it says, period. And for us as Christians, like we believe that we have the one true God. We believe that we belong to the kingdom of the one true God. And, and what do we do with that freedom that he gives us? We question him. And we doubt and we, we're skeptical and we say, I don't understand so I'm not moving. I don't understand so I'm not taking that step. I don't understand, so I'm just gonna be mad at you for a while. It's our human nature. But the Bible is very clear that our human nature is broken. And so instead of embracing our human nature and saying, oh, well, I just can't help it. No, help it. Run from that. Flee from it. Flee from those thoughts. Run as hard and as fast as you can from these thoughts of, I deserve an explanation. No, you don't. God is in control, God is God, he has the authority. If I had the authority, he would not get the worship. But I don't have that authority, he does. And so God deserves unquestioned worship. Otherwise, he deserves no worship. So, so the Lord gives us this plan. We don't have the whole picture. We don't get to understand it. Joshua didn't, it's not like in the rest of this, God says, here's exactly how I'm gonna do everything. God just says, Joshua, here's what you do. He does that to us too. He gives us commands and says, hey, I want you to do this. And he pulls at our hearts, the Holy Spirit conviction, and says, hey, I want you to do this. Talk to this person, go do this, move here, serve here, do this. And we question it, we buck against it, we say, hmm, I don't see how this is gonna work out. I don't see how I can possibly make this work. I don't, I don't, I don't see how, how this can ever possibly be productive or beneficial or positive or anything. Like, like I, I, don't, I don't see it all, so I'm not gonna move until I get to understand it. That's what, that's what we do. All of us, I down to, the, to you know, my four-year-old who mixed up Jericho and the Big Bad Wolf. Um, this is what we do. Like We don't understand it, therefore I'm not gonna do it. 
But again, praise God, Joshua did not do that. Um, Joshua gets a command and then he moves forward. Um, but there's, there's one last little thing that I just wanna make sure that I highlight here and then we are going to uh, shift into to point number three. Um, when you read Joshua 6, there's not a single verse where Joshua or the people question this plan. The Bible is full of David, of Abraham, of Jacob, of, of, of Moses. Oh man, Moses, oh my goodness. Questioning the plans from God. Like they get a plan, they're like, mm, how is this gonna work? Like there's just all kinds of pushback and questions. Right here in this story, zero, none. Joshua gets handed the craziest battle strategy ever and he's like, okay, let's go. And he goes to the people who have come out of the wilderness and are looking at a massive fortress. And Joshua's like, I got a plan from the Lord. And they're like, great, let's sharpen the swords. He's like, mm, actually swap your sword for a trumpet. We're gonna march. We're gonna shout really loud. And then we're just gonna walk up and take the city. And they're like, okay, let's go. I would have asked questions. I think most of us would have asked questions. They don't. This is one of the few times where the people of Israel actually get it right and their faith is as near perfect as we could ever get anything. No questions asked, let's go. We trust who you are, we trust what you say, let's go. They trust the Father, they trust the leadership granted to Joshua, and they just go. And so to me, that reminds me, in Proverbs uh, 3, verses 5 through 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding, in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Lean not on your own understanding, trust the Lord, straight path. What is Joshua told? March around, shout, and then straight path to conquering the city. We make our path crooked. We make it difficult because we're like, I trust you, Lord, I'm gonna follow you, Lord, and then we get distracted. So now what do we gotta do? Well, now we gotta, we gotta veer back onto course. And so when we're done, we look back and we go, man, that was a crazy, windy, twisty road. Well, yeah, every single one of those twists and turns was our sin, our disobedience, our lack of faith. If we'd have just trusted the whole time, it'd have been a straight line. I, I think I share this every time I preach. I love when Peter falls in the water. He gets out and he's walking on water because he's looking at Jesus and then he falls. And I love it because he didn't have to fall. If he'd have kept his eyes on Jesus, kept his trust in Jesus, because what he said was, if you tell me, then I know I can. And so Jesus is like, come on. And so Peter steps out and starts walking to Jesus on water. And then the second that Peter gets distracted, disobedient, loses sight of what's going on, he starts to drown. And so for Peter to get, you know, afterwards, he's drying off and he's like, why did you let me drown? No, Peter understood, I got distracted. That's why my path went all cattywampus. Cattywampus, it's a word of the day. We look back at our lives and we go, man, this is such a crazy path to get here. We created the crazy and the crooked. God's path is straight. Following faithfully and obediently is a straight path. It's promised all the time. Lean not on your own understanding but in all your ways, trust him and he'll make straight your paths. What a great promise. 
but I know better. I, I know how to do things better. I have a better idea. I have a better solution. No, you don't. That's just your arrogance and your sin talking. And so we go into uh, our third point here. Uh, our obedience is demanded. It's not suggested. God didn't meet with Joshua and say, hey, if y'all want to and you're, and you're willing to and if you pray about it first, then y'all march around the city. The Lord meets with Joshua and says, do this, period. Simple sentence, do this, period. There's no extra phrases, there's no you know, clauses and conjunctions and, and prepositionals and everything else that I've forgotten even though I have an English minor. Um, there's not any of the rest of that grammar, it's do what I said, period. The New Testament is full of things that the Lord told us to do. To pray, to serve, to give, to be encouraging, to be kind, to be patient, to be forgiving, to be merciful, to help the unfortunate, to feed and clothe everybody that we can feed and clothe, to take the gospel that we so trust everywhere we go. To give our lives for the sake of the gospel. And every single one of those is a period at the end of it. And we treat it like it's a negotiation, like it's, a, it's, a, it's an option. No, God is very clear that uh, our obedience is demanded. And here we get to see what happens when obedience that's demanded is actually given, when the people are obedient. There's tons of stories of disobedience. This is one where they're obedient and then we get to watch something that should be crazy difficult be actually really simple. Uh, Joshua 6, uh, let's read a few of these verses, starting in verse eight. Uh, and just as Joshua had commanded the people, the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the Lord went forward, blowing the trumpets with the ark of the covenant of the Lord following him. The armed men were walking before the priests who were blowing the trumpets and the rear guard was walking after the ark while the trumpets blew continually. But Joshua commanded the people, listen to this, you shall not shout, or make your voice heard, neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout. Then you shall shout. So he caused the ark of the Lord to circle the city, going about it once, and they came into the camp and spent the night in the camp. Let's keep going. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram horns before the ark of the Lord walked on, and they blew the trumpets continually. And the armed men were walking before them, and the rear guard was walking after the ark. Uh, ark of the Lord, and while the trumpets blew continually. And the second day, they marched around the city once and returned into the camp. So they did for six days. I feel like if I marched it once, I'd be like, okay, God, that was enough, right? Like, tear the walls down. They get up and they keep doing it. Nothing is changing. The walls aren't shaking. The people in Jericho aren't scared. There's not anything happening. It's just six days of obedience. It's just six days of, all right, here we go. Let's just do it again. It's easy to do something crazy one time. It's hard to do it that second day, that third day, that fourth day. I'm telling you, by the sixth day, I'm like, Joshua, can we yell already? Like, can we just shout and get this over with? Like, I'm ready. Like, I'm, I'm really tired of walking around walls and seeing these soldiers looking at me like they want to kill me. Can we just do this already? There's none of that. They get up and they march. 
They get up and they march. They get up and they march. They get up and they march. They are obedient and they are not impatient and they just keep going. Uh, On the seventh day, they rose early at the dawn of day and marched around the city in the same manner seven times. It was only on that day that they marched around the city seven times. And at, see, that's something else. They didn't overdo it either. They didn't take the plan into their own hands and go, well, if one time is good, two's better, right? What did God tell them to do? One. March around at one time. Make one lap. I think for us, we march around at one time and we saw like, hey, I was obedient. I'm gonna march around it twice today. Over-obedience is also disobedience. Follow the rule to the letter. If God says to jump, jump. Don't hop, don't skip, jump. If he says to run, don't walk, run. I have a four-year-old. Details matter. Telling her to do this not all of this, this. I taught sixth grade. It never happened, but I tried. I tried to pigeonhole them into like, here's your one task. Not all the things, one task, right? Here, they're given one task, march around one time. And they march around one time. So again, keep going. Uh, let's skip on down to uh, verse 17. And the city and all that is within it shall be devoted to the Lord for destruction. Only Rahab the prostitute and all who are with her in her house shall live because she hid the messengers whom we sent. But you keep yourselves from the things devoted to destruction, lest when you have devoted them, you take any of the devoted things and make the camp of Israel a thing for destruction and bring trouble up on it. So this is the other part of the thing. We are going to torch all of it. We are destroying everything. We are keeping nothing. If I'm a nomadic tribe and I see a massive fortress with almost unlimited supplies, I'm going to defeat the enemy and save all the resources. That's the logical step to take. Anybody in the military understands like, I don't wanna burn everything down when I have like this vast treasure of resources. But part of the command was, you better not take anything. There's some some bronze and silver and gold. Take that, put it in the treasury of the Lord as an offering, but I don't want you to keep anything. Because what God said is, I'm, I'm obliterating this place. I'm destroying it, it's going away. It is a den of sin, and you better not take a bit of it with you. And they said, yes, sir. So real quick, we keep going. Um, But uh, verse 20, so the people shouted and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted a great shout and the wall fell down flat so that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him and they captured the city. Then they devoted all in the city to destruction, both men and women and young and old, ox and sheep, donkeys with the edge of the sword. So the darker version of the VeggieTales part. VeggieTales leaves out that part. Understandable. God says, I'm destroying this place. They are wicked, they are depraved, they mock me. They think their gods are worthy of worship. Their sin is despicable and disgusting. I want it gone. This enemy is nothing to me. I'm gonna tear down their walls and I want you to go in and we're gonna clean house. That's dark. This is the kind of stuff we don't like to talk about. 
kind of brutal. It's kind of extreme. Like, what? That's, that's, why would he do that? We can go back to point one. We don't have the full picture. We don't see it all. But we can also go back and look at them historically and know that the city of Jericho and the people of Jericho had plenty of opportunities to turn. And they didn't. And so this was the time and the place for destruction. And so in their obedience, they had to do something crazy, something silly. They had to march and they had to shout. And they also had to, to do the, the dark and the hard part of it and the, the military part of it, and, and they had to clean house. Um, our uh, vision is limited. Our understanding is not required. Um, our obedience is demanded. Don't be like them. Destroy everything that they have. Um, but here's the part, um, and I'll, I'll, I'll close with, with this. I'm gonna push two things together here. There's never a second of doubt in Joshua's mind or the people's mind. They get a task and they go because they know that our victory is secure. This land was promised to us. This victory is promised to us. God has said this is what will happen. And so they trust wholeheartedly that that victory is secure. Um, God's known about the battle of Jericho since the beginning of time. It's not a surprise to him. The fortress is not shocking to him. He's known about it. He's known it was gonna be there. He's known how he was gonna win. There's no questions for God. And the people who have stopped questioning the Father also have no questions. Yes, sir. You speak, we move. That's the kind of faith that only comes when you know the outcome is already decided by the one that I worship. That victory is secure. The fortifications are not shocking to God. The strategy is not even really necessary to God. Like God didn't need them to march around the city. He just wanted them to. And I love it because it shows the only reason they were able to win is because God said so. Because God's like, and walls are down. Go, have fun. Take the city. He shows his power and he shows his might. He shows that these other lesser idols and gods are nothing compared to him. Without having to, to try to do anything to the walls, they just march and they shout and God says, fall. And they fall. Our victory is secure. Uh, in Philippians, Paul writes, uh, and my God, uh, Philippians 4.19, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Uh, earlier in the chapter in uh, verse seven, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. If we truly trust and have faith in the Father, then we have peace that exceeds all understanding. Joshua truly believed that the Lord was going to give them victory. And so with no doubt and no reservations, they did what they were told to do. For us, if we will recognize that our victory is secure because uh, it's actually point number five, that our God is greater than our situation, then we can live in that same kind of peace. 
I don't have to understand it to have peace because I know the one who holds the universe holds me. I don't have to understand why these things are happening. I don't have to know what's gonna happen next. I don't have to have all the answers because I trust the one who does have all the answers, who does hold it all, who has all the strength and all the power. And I know him. I have been saved and redeemed into his kingdom. And regardless of how confusing or scary a situation may be, he is greater. That's what Joshua believed. God is greater than Jericho. God is greater than their walls and their defenses. God is greater than my logic. God is greater than a battle plan. God is greater than whatever idols they wanna worship. God is greater than our fear and our anxiety. God is greater than our loss. God is greater than our diagnosis. God is greater than our failures. God is greater than all of these things. And if we actually believe that and we recognize that the victory is secure, it changes everything. Confident Christians are not confident in themselves. They are confident in the Father. If you ever met somebody that you're like, man, I wish I had that kind of faith. The only difference between them and you is they are trusting the Lord wholeheartedly. Where we're kind of trying to like just step one toe at a time into this, this idea of faith and they just dove straight in. That's the difference they're not any, the, the, the person with, with crazy strong faith is not any stronger than you, is not any better than you. They just trust the Lord. That's where their strength comes from. That's where their peace comes from. That's where their hope comes from. Um, it's not a balancing act. We want stronger faith. We want to be able to trust more. We gotta just do it. We gotta just trust the fact that, look, he knows and I don't in our minds, make him greater and ourselves lesser? Are there things that I read and I question and I go, well, I, don't really, I, don't, I don't really get this, God. Sure, absolutely there's things that I question, but I don't question him. I know that I'm limited and I know that I don't understand. There's just some things that we're not gonna get and we're not God. God is greater and he's not gonna be mocked and he's not gonna share power. He's not gonna share a throne. He's not gonna share authority. He's just not. And so we try to have two thrones, one for ourselves and one for him. And then we feel like we're distant from him. It's because he's not gonna sit there. He's not gonna share a seat. When we get rid of the throne of ourselves or the throne of whatever our other throne may be, whether it's money or comfort or whatever, and we say there's one throne and Father, it's yours, that's where we start to feel the closeness to the Father that we so hunger for. I, I just don't really feel close to the Lord. Is he in charge? Is he Lord? Is he your first thought and your last thought every day? Is he who you run to? Is he, is he your strength? Is he your power? Is he your encourager? Or is he the last resort? Is he what you turn to when it gets too dark and when it gets too hard and when it gets too confusing? Is he the, is he the last ditch or is he the first place you go? And that right there will answer your closeness to God question. 
Are you seeking him first and foremost because you know that he's greater and that through him, your victory is secure? Uh, I wanna close with this and then I'll, I'll invite the band up here in just a second. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, 50 through 58. Um, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. It's a whole bunch about eternal life. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written. So, Paul talking a lot about you know, eternity and things changing, but listen to this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fear over death because it's, it's final. There's no coming back from it. There's a fear over death because it means that this time is over. What a sweet promise. That for those whose faith and hope and trust is in the Lord, that the victory over death is secured because Jesus won. And because Jesus looks at us and says, I won for you. Death has no power over you. You are not a slave to sin and you have no reason to fear death because eternal life is yours through the victory of Jesus Christ. Joshua looked at Jericho and had no fear because he knew the victory of that battle was bought and won by the Father. He created it, he could destroy it, he could tear it down. Joshua had no fear, his hope and faith and trust was in the Lord. And for us as Christians, fear over persecution, getting mocked, getting laughed at by the French-speaking English peas because we're doing something crazy for the Lord. Stepping out on faith, all of these things, they're terrifying, they absolutely are. But we're fearing nothing, honestly, at this point because we have this promise from the, uh, from the victor, from the winner. It says, I defeated death, I conquered sin, it's over, the victory is yours. I'm literally handing you the victory. Take it, claim it. So this morning, as we close, just a really simple question, have you actually claimed that victory? Not, not believing about God or about Jesus, have you claimed the victory of Jesus? Or does sin and death still grip your heart? Because just as Joshua was guaranteed victory, we are guaranteed victory through Christ. Not through anything else, not through faithful attendance, not through faithful giving, not through checking all the boxes, not through mission trips, not through all the stuff. Our victory is in Christ. I'm gonna read this, I'm gonna pray for us, and as I pray, the band can um, make their way back up here. I just wanna read this short thing. Um, 
It's a, it's a piece out of a song from a few years back. And it says, all our troubles, all our tears, God, our hope, he has overcome. All our failure, all our fear, God, our love, he has overcome. All our heartache, all our pain, God, our healer, he has overcome. All our burdens, all our shame, God, our freedom, he has overcome. I've been able to experience the God who's overcome. August the 7th, 2005. I claimed the victory of Jesus. I hope you have. I hope you walk with a father who has overcome. I hope you walk with the one who sees your trouble and your tears and your failures and your burdens and he sees it and he cares for you, but that you walk with that victory and that knowledge of knowing that he overcame it. Let's pray. Father, you are... You are forgiving in ways that we can't fathom and, and, and you are merciful in ways that we don't deserve. You are beyond good. God, we face struggles and battles and sins and struggles and things that we wanna hide and things we don't know how to deal with and questions that we can't find answers to but God, you've already won. And we can, we can live knowing that our faith is in the one who overcame. We can live with the victory of Christ. Father, for that, there's no words. There, there's, there's nothing we can say. There's, there's no thanks we could ever possibly give. For the hope and the peace that we can receive through you. God, we look around and things in our lives and, and we, see, we see Jericho. We see this mattress, uh, this massive fortress, this massive problem, this fortification of, of sin, of a struggle, of a burden, of a question, of grief, of doubt. We see the problem, but God, you have already won the victory. Help us to see that, help us to trust that. God, I pray that if your spirit is moving uh, in this place on somebody's heart, Father, that you'll just, you'll call them home to you, that you'll call them into that victory. It's so sweet to trust you and to know you and to walk with you. God, I just, I, I beg that nobody leave this place not knowing that this morning. Love you and probably listen to them. Thanks for listening. If you would like more information about Chattanooga Valley Baptist, check us out on the web at cvbchurch.org. If you would like to join in person, we worship every Sunday morning at 1045. We're just minutes from downtown Chattanooga. We hope to see you soon.